risen indeed. We're going to actually spend some time talking about that. We have the privilege of reading where that, where that saying comes from within Scripture. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit today. If you're new here, I want to welcome you. Uh, I'm Ryan Grable. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you have any questions about our church or maybe today, maybe it's been a while, maybe since you've been at church, and you think, oh man, I maybe I like how this church, you know, felt today. I like my experience today. Would you would you mind just coming and talking with us? We'd love to just let you know about the church, what we have going, and kind of how the church can, um, in a way, be there in in your life. And so, um, but really quickly, man, today I was thinking about Easter all week, and I started thinking about just the significance of Easter. I was trying to categorize and catalog like some major things that happen in our life that we would say it is a life-changing event. And there are lots of things you can look at and, and research and say these are what people think are the biggest life-changing events. But I think in some I can speak from experience, some we can look historically. But when I think about a life-altering event, you will usually hear in a positive or a negative way a child coming into your life, right? It can be, it changes your entire life. You were once a bachelor or married and then all of a sudden you have a child and that child then determines when you sleep, the mood of the house, how loud you can talk, and what you can watch on TV. You used to watch cool stuff and now you're watching like, you know, the Disney Channel and like it, it's not good. It changes your entire life. When you think about other things, marriage alters your entire life. Changes the direction of your life. It changes where you're going. You now no longer live for yourself. You now make decisions together as a team. And where you would have gone is no longer where you would go together. It's different. And we think about health and we think about our personal health. Good, bad, ugly it changes the way our life is directed. Death is a big life-altering event when we lose someone close. A career gain or loss changes the very course of our life. These are big moments, and they're human moments. All throughout history, we see some of the big things that changed humanity. Now we pull back a little bit and go, what changed human life? You can go to the fire when fire first was, was around. And, and they were shocked because they realized they could stay warm and cook meat all the way to the wheel, all the way to inventions like in developments like penicillin changed human life. And of course, the greatest advancement of all time was TikTok, right? As soon as this jumped on the scene, it changed everyone's life. When these huge events, they change the course of human life, and maybe even in some cases human nature. Historically, you can go to the fall of Rome. You can go to the revolution. I think even now we're living in historic times that have literally changed the way the world operates. It has shifted humanity in a way. But I will tell you this, there is no event in your personal life and the development of humanity or in history like the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. The resurrection changed on so many levels in, a, in the cosmos, if you will. 
It changed all that we know now, what we can see and what we cannot see, was the resurrection. It changed humanity, it changed history, and it changed your history. I always loved when it comes to Easter, I was doing this on my drive in. I like to go back and say, God, I want to be in that moment where my life was turned over to you. When I decided it's time to lay down my ways, the path I, I am on, and I'm ready to take on you, it to be the Lord of my life. And I was thinking back, and I was talking to God about it this morning, and I was putting myself right back in that moment, and it changed my history. And God, the moment you brought him into your life, Jesus, when you accepted him as your Lord, he changed your history. You're living out that history right now. The resurrection changes everything. Listen to what uh, Peter says. He was a first-hand witness. He, he was at the accounts of the crucifixion. He was a disciple of Jesus. And he was one who experienced the resurrected Christ. Listen to what he said in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the, be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. To a living hope. And that's what you're doing now. You're to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today at Easter we're going to remember this day. I think the way Christ and ultimately I'd say Luke wanted us to remember this day. So let's pray. God we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it, 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 it awakens things with inside of us, God. And God, as we read your word today, God, I ask that, that every single person in here hears from you personally. Yeah, we're corporately worshiping God, but we want to also seek you individually. And so today is a day of resurrection in our life. This hope that's eternal this peace that surpasses all understanding. This mercy that came from a God and a just God. And the love and sacrifice of a Savior who gave it all for us all. So we love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled this message, Risen Indeed. Now, risen indeed is a really interesting phrase because... It's, it's, it's that response of like with confidence, like, like uh, when I'm arguing with somebody and they state a fact, I'm like, no, nah, are you serious? I doubt it. Let's Google it, right? You know how you do that? This is not that. This is responses. We know he has risen. He has risen indeed. We have experienced the resurrection. I'm sure of it. And so today we're going to look at really four scenes, four very powerful scenes from Easter Sunday that Luke allows us to see in the writing. And he focuses very, very intently, almost if you were reading like a, like a novel, almost if you're watching a movie and you're seeing scene by scene. I think about my favorite movie scenes, and if you, we all have them, we all think of them. Obviously, just, you know, just to give you an insight of the brilliance of who is speaking to you, one of my favorite scenes is in Dumb and Dumber when uh, he realized that he had an extra pair of gloves, and it's a wonderful scene. I love it. I quote it. It's so, so memorable to me. 
Luke wants us to remember these scenes. He wants them to be burned into our heart, and he wants us to give us the full picture of what's happening and that we remember them well. So the scenes of resurrection, they start in Luke 24. You can open your Bibles to it or the app, the Chronicles, these events. It's one chapter of the resurrection. It's short, it's sweet, but man, is it to the point. Jesus' camp is in disarray after crucifixion. The comp if you will, the company is collapsing. To them, this is an Enron event. To them, everything is falling apart and everyone is running. Peter's having a meltdown, right? Everyone's running away as Jesus is being taken away, beaten, tortured. And they're watching all of their hopes, all of their dreams, everything that they perceived Jesus to be, end up on this cross. And I, I thought a lot about this because I never want to paint the cross ever in a negative light. But it, I think it becomes a symbol sometimes of trauma to these disciples. And on Saturday, they're traumatized by this. Where, what happened to our leader did, is Jesus really who he said he was? It looks like he wasn't. We watched them laugh. We watched them mock him. We watched them beat him in the face. No one touched him before. It seemed like he slipped out of everybody's hands. But they didn't realize fully that Jesus handed himself over. Everything Jesus allowed, everything that happened, Jesus allowed to happen to the very last thing where he gives himself to God. He releases himself to God's care. He hands it over. They don't understand that. They think everything's being taken, but Jesus is just giving. The cross was so traumatic for them, it literally put them in hiding, put them on the run, made them literally deny Jesus. It was so scary, and they were shocked, and they were depressed. They were traumatized. To them, we look at this and go, thank you, Jesus. To them, when they saw what happened on the cross, it, it was a scene that crushed their entire life. But they were stuck there. Just stuck with this image of the cross. All they could think about. And But I think we can get that way. I mean, we can get stuck there. When we get traumatized, when something's so big, when something's so unbelievable, we could be just like those disciples, stuck right there in that moment. But Jesus is on the other side saying, there's resurrection. There's hope. It's beyond what you're stuck in right now. I know you're shocked. I know you're depressed. I know you're traumatized. I know life came at you hard. But there's resurrection. Here's a living hope. You cannot be stuck there. Mary and a few women, the, the, the word we'll pick up in 24, where Mary and a few women go down to kind of redress Jesus and rewrap him and, and, um, and, um, and ultimately just part of this burial ritual. And they come and they find two angels. But the angels say something so interesting. They say, why are you here? <laughs> I would think that's like a good Good, 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 like, you know, like, I'm here to tend to Jesus. I'm here running to the tomb. Why are you here? And this is what they say. This is where dead people live. 
You're not going to find that guy here. So why are you here? I love that. Obviously, the angels know, especially in faith, what is happening. But they do not have the faith to just take Christ at his word. And so they're looking for him there. And I think ultimately, then there's these two followers that pick up, and it's a very good story. It's called The Road to Emmaus. It's brilliantly done, written by Luke. And these two travelers, what happened is Saturday had happened. They got up early on Sunday. They didn't even wait for the resurrection. They were gone. And the story picks up where these two travelers are walking seven miles to a city, and they're on their way out of Jerusalem because, think about it, after Sunday, I'm pretty sure they're going to start looking for the rest of Jesus' followers. They're gone. And they're on this road, and it's called the Walk to Emmaus, and they're walking down, and they are sad, they are traumatized, they are stuck here, they couldn't believe this happened, but they didn't even wait for the resurrection. And they were on their way down on the seven-mile journey. I was reading this really interesting thing from Frederick Bachner. He's one of these great theologians. This is what he says about this road to Emmaus in relation to how we can maybe put ourselves as those two travelers on the road to Emmaus. He says, Emmaus is whatever we do or whatever we go to. Uh, make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred. That even the wisest and the bravest and the loveliest decay and die. And that even the noblest ideas that men have had, ideas about love and in freedom and justice, have always in time been twisted out of shape by selfish men for selfish ends. Wow, when I read that, I thought... That is what some people will feel like when the whole world feels corrupt and nothing is working out. And this is almost a, where are you, God? This is the type of Emmaus Road that makes people say in such a crushed and hopeless retreat where people would say, I would never bring a child into this world. They're crushed. And they just watch love die on that cross. And they couldn't really pull together that Jesus was going to be on the other side of that death. It was a traumatizing event for them. But then Jesus joins them on this walk. They're talking. They're like, can you believe this? I mean, did Peter, he had the meltdown. That was crazy. Right? Whatever they're saying. And then these women, they said that they saw Jesus, or these angels at the tomb, but I don't believe them. They said it's just idle talk. I mean, they're on their way. They're gone. And he shows up. And he says this really interesting thing. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> it's, so, it's so fascinating. Jesus is, what are you talking about? Like, here's the response. Are you the only person who wasn't in Jerusalem? Have you been living under a rock? There's this guy, Jesus, and we were following him. And the Romans crucified him. And we're on the run. I find it fascinating because they're telling Jesus, the author of life, the resurrected Jesus. They're speaking to the resurrected Jesus because they're stuck right here. 
They didn't believe in faith that on the other side there was a resurrection. So here they are talking to resurrection, telling him he must have been under a rock. How could you have missed this? Everyone's talking about it. Jesus does something interesting on that walk. He shares with them about the scriptures, and he says, well, of course that was going to happen. There are over 300 prophetic uh, scriptures about the very Messiah and how he would come. And there are 16 that are explicit about what was going to happen to Jesus, how he would die, who would betray him, that he would be turned over, that he would be uh, uh, nailed to a tree. That was so explicit, but very explicit in the resurrection as well. And not only that, five times in the book of Luke alone, Jesus tells them, guess what, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be taken by the chief priest. I'm going to be crucified, and I will come back on the third day. No one is really fully in faith understanding and grasping it. And so he is sharing this. This is the best sermon. Can you imagine someone giving you this sermon? It's Jesus. It's a pretty special story. I highly recommend reading it. And so then he ultimately sits down with them because they invite him in to have dinner. And now something happens. They sit down and they get ready to break bread. But it's weird because they're hosting Jesus, yet Jesus becomes the host and he blesses the food. Unusual. And then as he begins to bless the food, something clicks and they go, that's Jesus. Something could have been his hands. It could have been the way he blessed it could have been the way he taught them to pray. They learned to pray because he taught them. So when he spoke, and he spoke the way he did, it could have been something. We don't really know what it was. But as soon as they realized it, Jesus literally disappeared. Like You know what I mean? Like Commissioner Wayne, whenever he sees Batman, and he looks back, and he's like, well, he always does that. He just vanishes. He's gone. And something powerful happens in them, and we'll pick up in the story here. The very first thing, and these are, these are fast, is that the heart, the very first scene that Jesus, that Luke depicts here, is Jesus' scene of how he's after the heart. The heart, it matters so much. God's first and foremost effort and, and foremost thought is the heart. He's after your heart. He's after your heart more than just even your actions. I know some of us who brought, were brought up where our relationship with God is what we did. It's not what he's after. He's after the heart, the driver of who you are, the seat of the throne of your heart. That's what he's after. You can't do good enough. You can't be good enough. It's your heart that he's been after the whole time. The heart is the truth of a person. The heart is the center of the inner life in the Hebrew scriptures say. And there's a question that Jesus is after with them and he's after with all of us. And maybe on Easter it's a good one to ask, who has my heart or what has my heart? The very inner center of your life that drives your life. Luke 24, 32. They said to each other while they're sitting there, Jesus is gone. It says, Do not, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked, about it, talked with us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures, when he showed us that the whole of scripture was pointing to this 
moment did our hearts not burn with inside of us. And they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. How much you want to bet that the journey there looked a lot different than the journey back. The journey there was sorrow, sadness, disbelief, stuck here on the cross. And the journey back, I guarantee you, they covered some ground, maybe a five, six minute mile. I don't know what, but there was a whole different life to them just from the revelation that Christ is resurrected. That is what happens in our life. I read this in a wonderful commentary that I, I used for this entire series of study and this was a very simple but yet profound statement. What has happened with Jesus, they said, can be understood only in the light of scriptures, yet the scriptures themselves can only be understood only in the light of what happened to Jesus. Whew. Scripture can only be understood in light of what happened to Jesus. Scripture is not a how-to book. It definitely is not a moral map. It is not myths, and it is not wonderfully great sayings. It is alive. It is moving. It is pointing to something significant. It is revealing the very love story God has for people all throughout history, and it culminates in the person of Jesus Christ, the death of burial, and resurrection. It is all about Jesus. And we learn lots of things, thankfully, when we read Scripture, but its purpose is to point to Christ. And Christ's purpose was to establish that Scripture and make it revealed. I think seeing Jesus for who He was and who He is transforms the heart. That run back from Emmaus was radically different. And these were transformed people. And you'll read through the book of Acts as we get into that after Easter. You will see transformed lives. Your world changes. And maybe some of us right now with this road to Emmaus, maybe some of us right now are on our own road to Emmaus and we're on our way away from where God is calling us to be because they were supposed to remain in Jerusalem and wait at least for the resurrection. But they're on their way. They've had a traumatizing event. And you're stuck. And you're depressed. And you're sad. And you're broken. And I get it. I'm not one here to tell you that get over it. I'm not. I'm just one here to say that there's hope on the other side. There's a traumatic experience. And maybe you're on your own. And maybe you need Jesus. Or to realize he's walking with you. And he's never been without you the whole time. Let's pick up it and keep saying, and they found the 11. So they run back. They find the 11 in hiding. And those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. Here's why. And as he appeared to Simon, so Peter sees Jesus and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's our leader and he saw Jesus. And so they're building. Faith is building they're realizing there's something on the other side of all the trauma, that the hope is real. In verse 35, and they told what happened on that road, and he was known to, the, uh, to them in the breaking of the bread. And they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. But they, start, they were startled and they were frightened. 
They saw him, so they thought they saw a spirit in verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? He's still dealing with the same old heart issues, even post-resurrection. And I will tell you this, is that there are moments when we struggle with doubt. I understand that. But Jesus is continually saying, your doubts are, you know, in light of the resurrection, let's put your doubts into a place in light of the resurrection. In truth, let's seek out the resurrection more and a greater understanding so your doubts begin to be in their proper place. And how he does it is through revealing the scripture to them. He says, see my hands and my feet? This, it, it, it's me. Touch me. See me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me. Now, this is weird. Because he's not a spirit. And he's not an angel. He's like flesh and spirit. I don't really know what life after this life looks like. But this says something very interesting. But it does also say that no matter the trauma of your life, no matter the scars left behind, there is life and life eternal and there's life beyond this world. Beyond your pain, beyond your hurt. So he's after the heart. The next scene that we see in resurrection here is hospitality. Now, why was Luke so big on Jesus eating meals? None of the other Gospels share how much Jesus wanted to eat. You would read Luke and think, Jesus, all he thought about was food. He invited himself over to eat. He invites himself here to eat. There's something about hospitality. There's a, there's a very core principle of our faith in Christ that hospitality is a very, very big thing. Luke points it out over and over, and here we are. Why would Luke highlight this at the very close of the book? Is because it's essential that we are evangelistic in our hospitality and through hospitality. And it's a big deal that we are together, breaking bread in family and unity. Verse 40. 40, and when he had said this, he, said, uh, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they were still disbelieved for joy. Do you know what that means? It means like you won the lotto, and you're shocked, but you're checking the ticket numbers, and you're like, no, no, no. This is, that's what disbelief and joy is. It says, they were marveling, and they said to them, have you anything, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. This was important for Jesus to break bread and to have a feast and hospitality. This is what it's about. Evangelism happens at the table of relationship. Evangelism is essential. You'll see it throughout the book of Acts as we get into that. Luke highlighted over and over. Jesus was about hospitality. And we as followers, that's how we witness to others is by showing our hospitality to others. Our family dinner at the Grable House are a big deal. <clears throat> we do not usually miss them. I remember my daughter and I, we were talking about whether we'd let somebody from the outside come to our family dinner. It was a big deal. 
And it was like, should they come? Should they? Come? I don't know. They're not going to get our jokes. Maybe they'll hate us. Maybe they're going to be uncomfortable. Maybe they'll have fun. I don't know. It's kind of our thing. This is what we were doing, right? We were talking like this. And it was a crazy talk because it was such a big deal to us to even just to think about letting an outsider come into our family dinner. They came. They regretted it. <laughs> it was... <laughs> You know, we, we can't live our lives necessarily like the Grable family dinner. Everywhere we go, we're called into hospitality, and that's to place ourselves around others so we can let the resurrection shine through us. Revelation is the next scene. Scripture awakens our revelation of life in and through Christ. The Bible is a living word. It's life, it's strength, it's revelation. It's not an old book. It's not something that should sit on the shelf. It is living and active and alive. And the more you engage scripture, you have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will teach you and grow the revelation of that scripture within you. This is the only way that they had this revelation of Jesus. Even though he's resurrected in front of them, it still took scripture to point to this moment and its significance. Because Jesus did say this earlier in Luke in the story of Lazarus. Is that he said, I, he said, can you just send, send somebody back, Lazarus, from the dead so he can go and tell my brothers so that they don't have to go into hell like I am. If he could just send him, if you remember the story. And Jesus says, I sent them Moses. I sent them the prophets. If they don't believe them, they won't believe. I could come back from the dead and they won't believe. And they surely didn't either. But something radically transforms when you link Scripture up with Christ in your life and a revelation from what that means really in the world. And it says, and they said to him, these, he said, these are my words that I had spoken to you while I was still with you. I already told you all of this would happen. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Those three books are just a representation of the entire canon of the Old Testament. Meaning that all of it was written for this moment now. When the world would be redeemed and a new Adam would be born and it says in verse 46, it says, He said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and die on the third day and rise from the dead. The repentance for forgiveness of sins, this is why, should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning here in Jerusalem. And this begins to change everything. He opened their mind to it to understand the scriptures. And that is what made them radical throughout the entire book of Acts. That is what changed them. Don't just throw out the Bible. Jesus literally used the scriptures to show them what everything has been about the whole time. And they changed from meltdown Peter to running to Emmaus disciples to scattering everywhere. Something changed. And they became bold, hopeful and faith-filled. It's amazing what happened in those days. You know, this is why we study Scripture together here at church. If you're not a part of a church, 
at least growing to learn about Scripture. God speaks to you individually. Right now, probably to many of you, there was a moment where God is speaking to you about what's happening in Scripture, and He's a, a witnessing to something within your life, and He is revealing something in your life. It's alive and it's active, and us studying it together and personally will grow your life. It's a revelation. And so God is after the heart. Hospitality is at the core of the witness of Christ. And revelation happens through Scripture and through the Word, and it awakens this sleepy heart. And the very last thing, and we'll close with this, is you've got to leave it to Jesus. He's not just going to leave them where they were at. The very last scene in this, in this chapter of Luke is to go. To go. you got to go. You gotta leave. I know you felt that way when your son or daughter was staying home too long and you're like, you gotta go, man. It's time. Gotta get out of the nest. I envy those uh, birds that will take their little baby and bring them out to the nest and they're hundreds of feet high and they're like, let's see if you make it, right? <laughs> it's like, woo, wow. Jesus never intended for them to stay. It's not a part of the Christian mission. He's given them the, 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 the key of hospitality. He's enlightened them in the scripture for true revelation. And he has their heart. What good would it be to just sit there and do nothing with it? I would think that would drive someone mad. A witness, a, a witness's life their, their lives, um, they reflect their testimony and the testimony of resurrection in their life. That's what it is, is your resurrection story. It reflects what Christ has done in your life, and that makes you a witness. But you cannot stay, and you can't do it on Facebook or Twitter. You, you've got to go. You've got to go out in hospitality. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things, Jesus says to them. And behold, I am sending the promise. Now, the promise is the biggest thing a believer has. The promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. Meaning that as believers... And these will, and when we go into Acts, you will see the day of Pentecost when the Spirit empowers them beyond what they thought was even possible. And Jesus says, don't worry. I'm going to send you, but I'm going to send you with gear. You're going to be fine. That, this is the movement of resurrection. This is the point of resurrection. We cannot be stuck here. We have to know that in every trial you're going to face as you go, every trauma you might experience, like these disciples, that there's such a bigger picture, there's such a bigger plan, there's more, there's resurrection, there's hope, there's peace beyond understanding on the other side of what you might fear. But his core mission, Jesus always, if you want to know what his core mission was, it was said in just this last passage, salvation, sending, and blessing. He came for salvation, to send, and to bless you with the Spirit to go work. Easter extends beyond today. It's a reality throughout your life. 
on earth. We experience it in every moment of our life. It's a resting reality. And so it must be shared. Now listen, I'm not saying, let's invite Bob and Janie over, and as soon as they get over, let's have Bibles on the table instead of food, and then say, that's the word of God, you can eat from that, now let's talk about it. No, please. Jesus at least ate fish, right? But I'm talking about a lifestyle of hospitality and fellowship is how you will export the resurrection to others through you. I would ask this last question, what's it going to be? What's your story going to be as you leave today? We're celebrating the greatest moment in history. This could be your greatest moment in history. What's your story going to be? Life or lifeless? Hope or hopeless? You know, a heart, a faith, or full of doubt and despair? I don't know. I'm thankful for the resurrection because all of those answers I found a life, I would say a heart full of hope and a heart that is increasingly always struggling to want more and more faith. You know, you were created with a purpose. You were wonderfully made, the Bible says. We love saying those things when, when it's like, well, I know I'm wonderfully made and I'm beautiful. Like, no, 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 no. That's not what that means. You, from the inside, were knit together for a purpose. If I made something and it didn't fulfill its purpose, I would be like, why is this malfunctioning? You were made for a purpose. Wonderfully made. Unique. A masterpiece. Yes. But a masterpiece for God. You, your creator had a purpose in mind for you. And you should find out what it is. What is it? And when you find that purpose, it's the most, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you this, it's the most fulfilling thing that you could ever, ever experience is to have a purpose in God's purpose. It will be so fulfilling. Your potential will be unbelievable for what God created you for. But God wants your heart. Will you give it? If you're here today and you have not done that, he wants your heart. You have to answer the question, will you give it? He walks with you. He eats with you. He fellowships with you. He is with you. You can call on his name and he says, I'm here. You say, God, where are you? And he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You want him to be with you when you pray and you eat and you break bread. You want him to be with you and you say your prayers when you go to bed or when you're going through trouble. Now, you also do the same for others. Hospitality. And he gave us his word for revelation. And will the word be your spiritual food? You have to ask that question. Will it? He's asking these disciples to make this your spiritual food. Will it? And he calls you to witness to your resurrected life. And will you lift up the name of Christ in your actions? How about this? Will you live up to the name Christ? You will be my witnesses. Will you live up to the name? You have to ask these questions. If you wouldn't mind, could we bow our heads? Listen, there are no doubt people in here who are on the road to Emmaus. And it has been a very difficult journey. And you are traumatized by the event, events in your life. Or you're disappointed you're like, God, where were you? Obviously, you weren't there, God. And you're crushed, and I get it. 
But I promise you that Jesus, like those men walking down the street, I promise you, I promise you that Jesus is walking with you, wants to break bread with you, wants to reveal to you the truth of everything and what Scripture all points to. That you're not broken, you're not shattered, you're not destroyed, that there's hope on the other end and you just have to see it. Romans 8:11 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ for, who who raised Christ or he raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You may be crushed on your own road to Emmaus, but he gives life to you right where you're at the same way he did Christ. And if you're here and you don't even know Christ, you don't, you've never unseated your heart for him and he's speaking to you, maybe now and the Spirit has been communicating to you for a long time and maybe a friend who was hearing from God brought you here for this moment. Listen to John 6:40. This is from Jesus. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son, meaning that those who look with their hearts for Christ to be seated on the heart, to have him as the center of our life, who looks and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day, a promise of eternity, a promise of a life Beyond this life. I don't know where you're at. Only God does. He knows your heart. I can't even guess. But if you're here and you're on that road to Emmaus, on the way away from your purpose and promise, there's hope. The same Christ dwells in you. Turn around. Head back. And if you're here and you don't even know Christ, and you are maybe an outside observer to those who are going, what's this thing about Jesus? I don't really know him personally. Well, today that can be your day. You came with a friend, no doubt. And so what we'll do is, I think I just want to pray over you and give you an opportunity as you leave here to speak to your friend and say, listen, I prayed today for Jesus to come into my life. What do I do next? I I prayed today that my life would turn around from that road. Help me in the the direction that I want to come back. I want to come back to purpose. Will you help me? That's what our friends are for. That's what hospitality is for and fellowship. This is the core center of our faith. Our friends are here for us as we're navigating these waters so if you will let's bow our heads and just pray Jesus if you're asking Christ to come into your first time in your life say Jesus I need you I'm done with me running the show I need you I see that you died I see that you were resurrected I see that there's life in you and I want it help me Live a life for you. And if you're here and you've been on that road to Emmaus traumatized, 
God's calling you. He won't leave you. He'll join you on that journey. He'll bring revelation and life to you. But I just specifically pray for you as you are discouraged, shocked, disheartened, depressed. God, I ask you to be with every person who's on that journey right now, God, that the journey for them, God, with you involved begins to turn from a stupor, stumbling, discouraging journey to a sprint back to purpose, God. And we thank you that you are in the midst of them in their prayer. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. God, we thank you for sending your son that you love us so much that you would do all of this for humanity and individually for us. And we honor you today. Just like the disciples in the end of chapter 24, God, we worship you. We thank you in light of that revelation. We, we, we honor you, the God on high. And we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice and love. And so we're going to do that again right now, God, with you in worship. Honor you and worship you and thank you in this revelation of the resurrection. Amen. Would you guys stand with me and sing this last song?